The Stoic Jew podcast content for the month of May has been made possible by Dan Horowitz, who has graciously taken up my experimental request for an accountability sponsorship in hopes that this will result in more Stoic Jew content. Hello, I'm Rabbi Matt Schneeweiss, and this is the Stoic Jew podcast, where we explore the relationship between Judaism and Stoicism. So I belong to a couple of Facebook groups about Stoicism, and uh, one of the groups has a, not a leader, but I guess a guy who is a uh, quote-unquote top contributor who posts a lot. And he is clearly very knowledgeable and very informative and very pretentious. <laughs> uh, so much so that I barely participate in the group because the first time I uh, participated, uh, I think I used the term stoic sage because I wasn't sure if they were familiar with the term thinker. And I immediately received a response from him with his diatribe about how, how stoicism doesn't hold by sages and, uh, and this is what, sto- what sage means and this is why stoics don't hold by it. Uh, and so I was like, you know, whoa, like, man, I'm just trying to talk ideas here. Um, and then I've noticed that this person posts, you know, almost every day and is very, uh, I guess, uh, dogmatic about stoicism. Again, informative and knowledgeable, but but dogmatic. So let me just uh, start with that observation and uh, and then uh, I'll return to it later. So uh, as I've been mentioning in the past couple of episodes, I've been reading this book called A Guide to the Good Life, The Ancient Art of Stoic Joy by William B. Irvine. And he starts off his book with a history of stoicism. And he talks about how there are there were a bunch of different schools of philosophy. Um, I'm just going to read a little excerpt here. So he says, uh, after his death, Socrates, as many followers, not only continued to do philosophy, but attracted followers of their own. Plato, the best known of his students, founded the school of philosophy known as the Academy. Uh, Aristippus founded the Cyrian, Cyrenaic school. I don't know how to pronounce it. Euclides founded the Megarian school, Phaedo founded the Elian school, and Enesthenes founded the Cynic school. What had been a trickle of philosophical activity before Socrates became, after his death, a very a veritable torrent. So then he goes on to describe these uh, different schools and what each one emphasized and how they competed with each other. Um, and he goes on and, and gives a, a nice little summary of the history of Stoicism. Now, this was all in, sorry, history of philosophy. This was all in Greece. So he, he generally, transi- he, he uh, gradually transitions into talking about Stoicism, founded by Zeno. Uh, and this is not the Zeno of Zeno's paradox, uh, but the, uh, a different Zeno. And then he gets to the point where he says, let's see here, he outlines... I'm going to pause for one second. Right. Zeno of Citium, he says, not to be confused with Zeno of Elia, who is famous for a paradox involving Achilles and a tortoise, or with any of seven other Zenos mentioned by Diogenes Laertius uh, in his biographical sketches. And then he talks about how the Greek Stoics had three subject matters that they focused on. One was logic, the second was physics, and the third was ethics. Okay, and he talks about why they studied these various things. Okay, and I'm, I'm skimming on, and he goes on, and he talks about how the Greek Stoics focused on virtue, uh, talking about how virtue is what is necessary for living a good life, uh, etc., etc. And then he transitions into talking about Roman Stoicism. Now, I think if I just said the terms Greek Stoicism versus Roman Stoicism, then many of you, like me, would uh, not know what really the difference is. But if I say that the names Epictetus, Seneca, and Marcus Aurelius, you'll probably recognize those names. And if I told you that all of those were Roman Stoics, 
then that might make you take note of the fact that maybe Roman Stoicism is different than Greek Stoicism. So the author writes, after importing, Roman, uh, sorry, after importing Stoicism, the Romans adapted the doctrine to suit their needs. For one thing, they showed less interest in logic and physics than the Greeks had. Indeed, by the time of Marcus Aurelius, the last of the great Roman Stoics, logic and physics had essentially been abandoned. In the Meditations, we find Marcus congratulating himself for not having wasted time studying these subjects. The Romans also made subtle changes in the Greek Stoics' ethical program. As we've seen, the primary ethical goal of the Greek Stoics was the attainment of virtue. The Roman Stoics retained this goal, but we find them also repeatedly advancing a second goal, the attainment of tranquility. And by tranquility, they did not have in mind a zombie-like state. To advocate that kind of tranquility, after all, would be a rejection of the rationality that the Stoics thought essential to virtuous living. Rather, Stoic tranquility was a psychological state marked by the absence of negative emotions, such as grief, anger, and anxiety, and the presence of positive emotions, such as joy. For the Roman Stoics, the goal of attaining tranquility and, the, and attaining virtue were connected. And for this reason, when they discuss virtue, they are likely to discuss tranquility as well. In particular, they are likely to point out that one benefit of attaining virtue is that we will thereupon experience tranquility. Thus, early in the disc his discourses, Epictetus advises us to pursue virtue, but immediately reminds us that virtue, quote, holds out the promise to create happiness and calm and serenity, end quote. And that, quote, progress toward virtue is progress toward each of these states of mind, end quote. Indeed, he goes so far as to identify serenity as the result at which virtue aims. Because the Roman Stoics spent so much time discussing tranquility as a byproduct of virtuous living, they create the impression that they were disinterested in virtue. Consider, for example, Epictetus's handbook, also known as his manual or Enchiridion, Arian, one of Epictetus' students compiled this work with the goal of providing second-century Roman audiences with an easily accessible introduction to Stoicism. Although the handbook is filled with advice on what, according to Epictetus, we must do if we wish to gain and maintain tranquility, Arians saw no need to mention virtue. Okay, so that's the end of the quotation from, uh, from Irvine's book. So I read this, and um, I had a couple epiphanies. One epiphany was... <laughs> that, um, you know, I think when I first started my Torah learning, then I had this naive notion. Again, you know, I converted to Judaism in 11th grade, and so I, I was coming to this rather late. And I had this notion that, like, Jewish theology or Jewish thought is, like, one thing. And obviously, as I began to learn, I realized that there are, uh, you know, that Judaism, Jewish thought is not monolithic, and there are many uh, subdivisions and different opinions within Jewish thought. Uh, and so then I kind of, you know, uh, created subgroups in my mind. So one of the subgroups, for example, was the Rishonim. And I kind of had this thought that the Rishonim was one block of, uh, of philosophy, you know, one, one, one whole school of thought. And then I saw subdivisions within that. Um, and, you know, the more, I think this is not an uncommon experience in any field, that the more you learn, the more you realize that every thinker in the field has different thoughts. So, I think the same thing happened with Stoicism is I noticed from the very beginning that Epictetus and Marcus Aurelius and Seneca all emphasize different things. Um, but I, I, I think the more I've read them, the more I've realized the subtle differences between their emphases and thoughts. And now I'm realizing that there apparently is a difference between Greek Stoicism and Roman Stoicism uh, and uh, the different emphases. And not only that, but like within Epictetus's Stoicism, which was mostly brought down to us by Arian, who wrote the handbook and the discourses, Arian did not even record necessarily 
what Epictetus himself taught, he Arian recorded what would be most, uh, I guess, appealing to Roman audiences, and he kind of pitched Stoicism to them based on what they would be interested in. Uh, and uh, and you know, again, I'm kind of relying on Irvine's opinion here, but he downplayed virtue and uh, upplayed tranquility. So, you know, when I when I had these thoughts, I realized that part of, uh, I guess, one of the things I have been hesitant about in the Stoju podcast, uh, I realized I don't really have to worry about as much. You know, I had kind of been, I had realized that a lot of people are only really being exposed to Stoic thought through this podcast. And I kind of felt a responsibility to um, convey uh you know, an, a quote-unquote authentic view of Stoicism, uh, or for lack of a better term, an orthodox Stoicism. And what I'm realizing, the more I learn about Stoicism, is there is no orthodox Stoicism. You know, the the main Stoics who we know Stoicism from, Epictetus, Seneca, and Marcus Aurelius, were really, uh, you know, uh, crafting their own emphasis with Roman Stoicism, and uh, and changing from the orthodoxy of Greek Stoicism, and they were suiting it to their own needs. And then even those who expounded and who uh, uh, conveyed their teachings did the same thing. So really what I'm doing is no different than that. I am just, uh, I guess, you know, for lack of a better term, teaching Judean Stoicism, you know, Jewish Stoicism. And I am uh, I'm emphasizing those those aspects which are, uh, which I find to be relevant and which I find to be uh, something that I assume my audience is going to be interested in. Um, in doing so, I am being consistent with the school of thought of Bruce Lee, uh, who famously taught, and I'm just going to quote one of the many examples of this teaching, adapt what is useful, reject what is useless, and add what is specifically your own. And the funny thing is there was a school of Greek philosophy called the Eclectics who did exactly that. And I think it's funny that that had to be a school of thought. You know, the, the notion that like you can take what is useful from whatever doctrines you learn, um, you know, that that had to be like a philosophy of philosophy here, you know, whereas we in Judaism uh, hold Ezehu Chacham Halom Mikol Adam, who is wise, one who learns from everybody, or, uh, you know, Kabel HaAmes Mimish Amro, accept the truth from whoever says it, you know, which means that, uh, that, that, you know, truth is not something which is, which belongs to a specific school of thought, but it's something that you can assess with your own mind, and it can come from any source. So, when I heard this, you know, and when, when I, sorry, when I had these, uh, with these, these ideas, I looked back at that person in that Stoic group on Facebook who has his orthodox Stoicism, and I thought to myself, it's ironic that you are really not following in the footsteps of the great Stoics who really did adapt what is useful, reject what is useless, and add what is specifically their own. You know, you are trying to cling to Stoicism as a doctrine and make your teaching, you know, your, your responses and your beliefs and your teachings fit into only that which the orthodox, you know, which the, uh, which fits into the text and, 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 and what the Stoics uh, actually wrote. And that really is not how Stoicism is. Stoicism is a living entity, a way of thinking and a way of living. And, uh, I think when I had this realization, I realized that this version of Stoicism, which I have been talking about on this podcast of the Stoic Jew brand, uh, is something that is much, much more, uh, much, much closer to authentic Stoicism than I thought, because authentic Stoicism really is a tradition of 
adapting what is useful, rejecting what is useless, and adding what is specifically their own. So uh, that is uh, what I wanted to get across in this episode. Uh, let me just take a moment to think whether there are any takeaways that I want to leave you with. Yeah, I guess one point that I want to emphasize here is, you know, there is one thing I was also hesitant about in, you know, I, I mentioned many times that I am not interested in Stoic uh, metaphysics. I'm not in, uh, interested in, in the Stoic emphasis on, on logics or physics. I'm really only interested in ethics. And one of the, one, one thing I've been wary about is what aspects of Stoic ethics are contingent on Stoic metaphysics and logics and physics. So I still think that's a point that is worth noting, which is that, you know, although there's no obligation to accept an entire orthodox Stoic ideology, you do want to make sure you understand what the thinkers who are writing are actually saying. And in order to do that, you might need to understand their physics, metaphysics, and logics. So I will say that. But if you can take certain techniques or certain ideas from them and adapt them for your own uses, or re-examine them in light of Jewish teachings, then Harizim Meshubach, then all, all the better. So uh, that is what I endeavor to do with this podcast. Uh, that is it for today's episode. If you've gained from what you've learned here today, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Rabbi Alternatively, if you would like to make a direct contribution to the Rabbi Schneeweiss Torah Content Fund, my Venmo is at matt-schneeweiss, and my Zelle and PayPal are mattschneeweiss at gmail.com. Even a small contribution goes a long way to covering the cost of my podcast and will provide me with the financial freedom to produce even more Torah content for you. If you would like to sponsor a day's or a week's worth of content, or if you're interested in enlisting my services as a teacher or tutor, you can reach me at rabbishnewis at gmail.com. Thank you to my listeners for listening. Thank you to my readers for reading. And thank you to my supporters for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone.